wondering what the scoop on composting toilets is, we get down and dirty on this week's episode of RV Miles. everybody and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 17 of the RV Miles podcast. If you want to get today's show notes, you can do so over at rvmiles.com slash episode 17. You can also keep up with RV Miles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to keep up with Jason and I as we travel around the country with our three boys, Jack, Ethan and Henry, we are at OurWanderingFamily.com, and we are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On today's episode, we're going to talk about something we get lots and lots of questions about, our composting toilet. Something that took a lot of convincing on Jason's part to get me on board with. I mean, honestly, to get me on board, I had to watch a lot of videos. (laughs) But not... Okay, first off, let's clarify that you watched videos that had to do with explaining them not <laughs> I just, not demonstrations right i just think this whole topic has the potential to go south but i will say that i'm really glad jason watched tutorials and convinced me to go this route in the bus because it certainly has saved us several times and i'm excited to talk about the composting toilet <laughs> We're also going to talk about if you're if you're not looking for the down and dirty. If you haven't already turned this episode off, we're going to talk about some of the ways, and I think this is useful for for anybody, even if you're not a full time RVer uh, or planning on doing it. We're going to talk about downsizing your life and some of the things we learned as we got rid of things, what we needed, what we don't, and and how to get rid of stuff, which is honestly harder than figuring out what you need to get rid of. Absolutely. And also not only what we learned, but maybe some of the wisdom we can impart on the back end as we certainly made several mistakes, especially towards the end of our time in our sticks and bricks. Yeah. Before we get there though, I wanted to talk about a question that I got. Somebody had seen me post on on a Facebook group about uh, getting fuel on the trucker side of the truck stop. Where the forbidden The area. forbidden zone. <laughs> and they sort of had questions as to how that works. And I realized it was really intimidating for me the first couple times. And even now, there are some issues every now and then that come up. And I thought it would be good to just sort of let people know how that works a little bit and help them feel comfortable using the trucker diesel side of the truck stop. Yeah, I think anytime you have something that you feel intimidated by, hearing someone else's experience or having someone kind of walk you through it before you get to that place always sort of helps, personally speaking, calm my nerve. Yeah, so the first thing you need to know is don't be intimidated. It's going to be okay. You're a customer, just like everyone else is, and you are absolutely (laughs) welcome. It often looks busy and hectic over there. But, you know, honestly, usually it's not. Usually there are lanes free. Usually there's not a big line. Uh, if there is a big line, maybe wait till your your next time to use that side. But the first thing you need to know is that there's almost always only diesel on that side. 
rarely is there gasoline. So if you have a gasoline rig, sorry, you're going to have to normally use the the regular vehicle side. And that can be a challenge because sometimes it can be hard to get in and out and and, and uh, make the turns that you need to make in there, which is really the only reason why I'm not a big fan of big rig RVs being gasoline driven because it's just so hard to get fuel sometimes. Anyway, head over to the trucker diesel side. What you're going to see is a bunch of lanes. You can only pull into them one direction, which doesn't matter because there's a satellite pump on the passenger side. So you can you can fuel up from either side. So you're going to pull up to the pump and it's going to be different in a lot of different states and a lot of different fuel stations how this works. Sometimes you can just stick your credit card in, start the pump, and it's fine. Sometimes you can't. Because, you know, they're primarily intended for commercial truckers, they're often putting a truck number in and having a charge account through their employer, whatever it might be. Sometimes you have to just go in and pay for the fuel in advance or give them a card to hold to start the pump. Sometimes you can just hit the little intercom and they'll start the pump for you when you say, hey, I'm a private RV. So that's kind of the first thing you need to know is that starting the pump can be a little weird in some situations. The other thing related to that is that the price in some states for commercial trucks is more than it is for private vehicles because of an additional commercial vehicle tax. Most states that's handled differently and it, it's not involved there at all, but it's something to watch out for. I think Indiana was the one state we've ran into it so far. And usually they can give you the correct price if you go inside, but you might have to actually use the regular vehicle side if that comes up in that state that you're in. The next thing you need to know is that the nozzles on the pumps are larger and the fuel flows a lot faster on the truck side. And that's great if you've got a big fuel tank and you've got the fuel fill that can handle that. Some of your smaller trucks that nozzle might not fit in there, so you need to make sure that it's going to fit. Usually, I think this day and age, it's gonna be fine, but if you have an older truck, it might be an issue. So you're gonna start the pump, however that gets started, and we have to use the satellite pump on the right-hand side or the, the passenger side. So what, what you do is you start the pump, you take the nozzle off on the the side where you where you've the driver's where, side the driver's side where the credit card is you lay that on the ground you flip the thing up if there's a thing to flip up to start the pump and then you go over to the other side and take the satellite nozzle off and use that the reason they have those is is big rig semis actually fill tanks on both sides at the same time so and you i know some rvs might have that as well but uh but that satellite pump will not work unless you've taken that nozzle off then once you've filled up, you want to pull forward. There's usually a white line to pull up to so that the next truck behind you can get in. And then you go inside and finish paying, use the restroom, get, get, a coffee. get snacks or whatever you need to do. No, don't get coffee. <laughs> don't get coffee. Abby has an aversion to truck stop coffee. <laughs> I, I think truck stops have come a long way and have some, I mean, some of them have Starbucks inside. Come on. Well, then get a coffee, but (laughs) I have attempted. And you know what? If, if you know where there's some great truck stop coffee, you let me know the last several times when I have been desperate for coffee and I have purchased from the stop we were at that coffee. 
I have not been able to finish. She's a little bit of a coffee snob. I am not. A I just bit, like a little bit. A little bit. I just like to drink bit. things that taste good, a Jason. Little bit. <laughs> it's the best part of waking up. Except, don't drink Folgers. <laughs> But anyway, that's another podcast episode. So it's nice. Use the use the trucker fuel side. It'll go a lot faster. You can get it in and out easy, easier. There's often free air. They've got the long-handled window washers so you can reach your whole RV window without getting up on a ladder or anything like that. And don't feel like you need to have even like a, a fifth wheel or a big class A motorhome to go over there. You don't. It's okay. No, and I think that everyone would appreciate you going to that side anyway, especially those on the gasoline side, because you are pulling something that's rather long. And a lot of times that means you're going to take up two pump spaces in order to fuel up. So not only are you kind of blocking that area, but for you and your peace of mind, navigating out of the gasoline side, that's difficult. And with these RV truck sides... You just get to pull straight in. You get to pull straight out. They're nice, big, open areas to navigate. For me, I feel so much more comfortable when we can go on that side, opposed to the few times we've actually been forced to go over to the gasoline side. And I've had to get out and kind of make sure we're not too far out. All of the sort of bits and pieces that go with that. The int- Getting over that intimidating factor and going over to the other side, I actually now think is so much more relaxing than trying to yeah. navigate gasoline. Now, if you're just in a, if you're in a shorter motorhome and you don't have a car being pulled behind you or anything like that, it's probably not going to be as much of an oh, issue yeah. for us. Oh yeah, if you're pulling a pod or like a little stamp yeah. or something, oh yeah, absolutely. But we're sixty feet long. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> so so it is useful for us to be able to get over there and not have to, you know, block yes, traffic. And absolutely. Stuff All right. So if you have questions like that, that you'd love for us to answer on the show, please email us at editor at rvmiles.com and we'll be happy to share what we know or what we can find out. And you know what I realized? We were so excited to discuss the truck side of a fueling station that we did not talk about where we are. Oh, yeah. Uh, Where are we? We're back in Kansas City, as we mentioned last week. We're still (laughs) in the same place. (laughs) We're not going anywhere. No, we are not. So that's probably why we didn't think it was worth mentioning. But we are still in the Kansas City area. We are gearing up for the holidays. Incredibly busy with our publication, um, Performing Kansas City, which is a performing arts publication that discusses the arts here in Kansas City, seeing a lot of shows right now, which is always a joy to be able to stay in one place for a while and fuel ourselves on a little bit of art and theater and discuss that. So, And we're planning our Thanksgiving menu. <laughs> we are. And we are not one who's planning our Thanksgiving menu this year in an RV. I'm always so impressed by those who are planning their Thanksgiving menu around camping and being in their RV we are utilizing a big giant kitchen <laughs> for Thanksgiving this year. But speaking of food, RV Epicure had a new article come out this week. Yeah, and and along those lines of being able to cook big meals in your RV, it's about cooking lasagna in your RV. I was very impressed when I saw this article come out because lasagna is not anything I would ever tackle homemade in Wanderbus. But then after reading Chef Hardcore's article... I thought, well, 
Maybe I can actually hey, do if that. If we can cook a frozen <laughs> lasagna in, in our in the bus, we can we can cook a homemade one. Let me tell you, if I can open up that package and toss it in the oven, you can make a homemade lasagna too. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about all things composting toilets. If you're eating right now, Just stop. stop. <laughs> Just stop. We won't. We won't be gross. We promise. No, 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 no. We'll be very clean. But it is about poop. So (laughs) you just had to get that word in. You did that for the kids. I know you did. They're going to be thrilled. We'll be right back. Abby, are you ready for last week's brain teaser answer? Yes, I am. Guys, send us in the answers to these. <laughs> we got we got prizes to give. We got prizes to give away. So if you know the answer, please email us at editor at rvmiles.com and we might send you something cool. We just might. Same. You'll be oh. forever in my debt. <laughs> All right. Biff, the brand new Boy Scout, wants to get a merit badge for going on a long hike. It's an eight-day hike, and he wants to be prepared because he heard somewhere that this is the Scout's motto. It is. Be prepared. Right? Yeah, it's also a song from The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) Biff knows that even the biggest and best Scout can only carry enough food and water for a five-day hike. He also knows he'll be disqualified if he uses an animal to carry extra food and water for him. On the other hand, Biff knows he may bring other scouts with him as food carriers to help him finish the hike. What is the least number of scouts Biff will need to bring along in order for him to complete the eight-day hike safely? Three. I just picked a number. I picked three because we have three kids, and I would take my three kids with me. You cheated, didn't you? No, I didn't. Did I get it right? Are you serious? Biff will need three other scouts to go with him. Each scout will carry a five-day supply of food and water. After the first day of hiking, the first scout accompanying Biff will give one day of supplies each to Biff and the other two scouts, using his last one-day supply to take him back home. Each remaining scout will then have a five-day supply. After the second day, the second scout will give Biff and a third scout one day of supplies each and will use his remaining two-day supply to hike back home. Biff and the third scout will once again each have five days of supplies and so on until Biff will be left with five days of supplies enough to complete his eight-day hike and get the merit badge. Good job. Good job. Good guess. Y'all can't see me, but I am doing such a happy dance right now. (laughs) That might be the first time I've gotten one (laughs) right in 17 weeks. Very happy. (laughs) We'll have another brain teaser for you, though, however, at the end of the show. All right. So. Let's compost. (laughs) Let's compost. We. Such a romantic, (laughs) romantic saying. Honey, will you compost with me? (laughs) Obviously, building our own bus, we got to explore all the different options for creating a waste system and all the different systems involved in an RV. One of the more popular. Incredibly popular 
components to an RV nowadays is a composting toilet. And they scare the heck out of some people, but we're here to tell you it's okay. Yeah, we are. (laughs) I mean, and listen, this is coming from a person that was scared the heck out of to use one of these. And I am a complete and total like convert. First of all, let's say there is a serious difference between going in a bucket in a homemade composting toilet and a commercial composting toilet that you buy and install. Yes. Major difference. There's a major difference in regards to what goes into putting those together. There's also probably about a $990 difference between... So if you're okay with the bucket method, (laughs) you're going to save a lot of cash. Yes. And this is not to knock anyone who has DIY'd the compost toilet. No. Some people have done great DIY versions. Yes. We were not those kind of people that felt like our DIY skills were at that level or with three children in tow that we wanted to test out how successful a homemade compost toilet would be once we were actually in Wanderbus and using this very precious piece of needed space. And, but what you'll see is people saying, I'm not paying $1,000 for a plastic bucket. Yeah, let's get that out of the way right now. We spent $1,000 on our nature's head composting toilet. It is probably one of the most expensive single pieces that we bought for this bus. It might be the second biggest ticket item in the bus outside of actually purchasing the bus itself. But it is not just a plastic bucket. There are some features and and it's very well built and we'll talk about that. Yeah. And when you hear compost toilet, you're most likely going to hear people mention the name Nature's Head composting it's toilet. It's pretty much the most popular one. It there is. are a few other brands, some more expensive, some less. Um, but, but this one I think yeah. has really been tested and enough people have used it that it, you can trust that it's going to be the product that you're purchasing and you can trust that you're going to get your money's worth out of it. So let's explain what a compost toilet is and how it works. It looks a decent amount like a regular toilet. You sit down on it and use it most of the way, like a regular toilet. I think with it's some a little bit taller than it, a regular. It is a little Let's, bit taller. Yeah. It's a little bit taller than a standard toilet height, especially one you would find in an RV. Smaller feet are going to need a little boost. They're going to need a little stepping stool. But it is pretty much, for the most part, constructed and looks like a traditional toilet shape. What a composting do- toilet does is it... It separates the number one and the number two, first of all. And that's really important for this process to work properly. Yes. The number one goes either into a jug that you empty, or you can plumb it into your gray tank, which we can talk about in a minute. The number two goes into a bin that is full of compost material. You either put peat moss in there, or we use cocoa core, which is sort of ground up coconut shell hulls. And, you know, through the regular composting process, it composts inside there. It doesn't necessarily entirely complete composting uh, because you don't really have it in there quite long enough. But it's also not like composting food or paper or whatever, because 
what is going in there is already well on its way to becoming compost. So it doesn't take a whole lot of time for that process to happen. But you might be concerned that it's going to smell really badly. And it, it doesn't. I mean, there is a scent, right? It smells, to me, it smells like a garden. Yeah, I think this is the biggest concern that anyone has when you put a bunch of people into a small space. Is this compost toilet going to smell? That was my number one concern. I absolutely did not want to smell my family <laughs> after they had used the toilet. Now, from what I have learned in the last year that we have been doing this, I think that we experience less smell than people who have a more traditional bathroom setup in their rig. Yeah. Jason is absolutely right. After the number two has happened and you go to turn the wheel, which is to mix then in with all of the compost that is inside the chamber, you absolutely get the smell of a garden. It smells like dirt. I do not find that to be a displeasing smell because it certainly replaces the smell that was just there, if I'm honest. And I have been surprised. A, that smell does not linger. You will smell a garden fresh dirt smell for a few minutes in the bathroom space. It does not ever leach out into the rest of our RV. And I think that was probably the biggest turning point for me. Once I realized that people were not pulling my leg and that it does not smell, I was like, I am completely on board with this. Yeah. The main thing that keeps it from smelling is the separation of the number one and number two. Yes. When those things mix, then you get really nasty, stinky smell. Well, you get the gas that yeah. is created. And I think that that's what so many people who have like a traditional black tank complain about should there be issues is that that gas smell can start leaching out yeah. into your living space not to mention that when you go to dump you do have that gas smell I mean I always and I know that this is not what it's like but I always go back to that scene in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation <laughs> where cousin Eddie is taking care of his black tank and someone is saying, you know, he shouldn't be dumping that into the sewer. It's gas and blah, blah, blah. And we all, if you've seen the movie, you know how it ends. I am not saying that that's what anyone who dumps a black tank looks like. But in my mind, when we start talking about mixing the two, I see Cousin Eddie's issues. <laughs> that's a good segue into some of the advantages of a composting toilet. Number one, you don't have to have a black tank. If you already have an RV and you are you already have a traditional toilet, you can replace it with a composting toilet, and you can eliminate your black tank. You can you can actually use you can tie your gray tank and your black tank together so that you have just one large gray tank, and you can last a whole lot longer that way, and you don't have to dump the nasty stuff. Right, because you can, like Jason was saying, you can also take the chamber that is for the number one. You can run that into the gray tank. Yes, you can hard plumb that into your gray tank so that you never have to dump that yourself. And I'll be honest, the grossest part about having a nature's head is dumping the urine. It We do it every other day for our family of five. And, and we do not have ours running to a gray tank. Now, that was something right. we opted to do. We actually do physically have to take the 
bucket container out. And by we, I do mean Jason. This was the deal we made. We get this thing. (laughs) This is your baby. (laughs) And so he does go about every two days and he dumps it out. Now, the thing about this, though, is that I am constantly amazed that there is no spillover. We have very little issue. You know, we have three little boys inside our bus with us. They're using the toilet. Little boys, for anyone who has little boys, knows that sometimes it can be a little bit more of a messier experience when they are using the bathroom and they're learning to, you know, use the restroom. And we have very little issue with that. Like when we were back in our sticks and bricks and we had little boys, there was always a need to keep Clorox wipes (laughs) (laughs) nearby. I'm trying to be as PC about this and not gross everybody out. That's sort of the thing that naturally comes with parenting little boys. That is not nearly an issue in the, the way that this compost toilet is designed. No. No. In, and, and the reason that the, the changing of the urine is, is kind of the gross part is it just that part smells. It, 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 that's, that's way worse than changing the number two, by the way. The urine smells really bad. It doesn't smell until you open it up. No, you never know. And you can put the lid on aware. But I would recommend plumbing it into your gray tank if you can, because that just saves you from from that. So some so to dump the urine, we either take it to pour it into a toilet or down a a dump station, drain, something like that. Uh, some people just pour it down their shower drain. Please. Which I, I don't, don't do. I don't I'm not well, a fan of that. Yeah, I mean I you could it's sterile. It really is, it's sterile. Yeah, but to each their own. I shouldn't say please yeah. don't do that. To I think as long as you own. clean up afterwards, I guess it's fine. But yes. I, I if you have the option to plumb it, I guess I think that's the best option. The number two, we change about every month to six weeks. I would actually say we can go six to eight weeks. Yeah. We do use a lot of public bathrooms. We're out and about a lot. Yes. Um, so we're not like people that are out boondocking in the middle of the nowhere and only using this toilet all the time. But, but yeah, we could probably go up to eight weeks without changing it. It's amazing how much it doesn't fill up. Yeah, it is really kind of amazing and how quickly it turns itself over. And you can even – you can put toilet paper in it, but you could make it last even longer if you don't put the toilet paper in it, and some people do that, they'll throw their toilet paper in a sealed trash can, or they'll have like a like a diaper genie type thing that sort of yeah. seals off the trash can. You could do that. So what what you do with what's left over is it's mostly compost, um, and there are several options to get rid of it. But because it only is every six or so weeks, there's a lot of time to figure out where it's going to go. Usually, to be honest, it does go into the trash. And some people think that that is really disgusting. I'm telling you, what comes out of there is 99% dirt. And yeah, there's going to be some germs in there, but it's no different than, than throwing diapers away. As a matter of fact, I think it's 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 one of the most environmentally friend, friendly things we can do. Because what happens is you just dump it into a biodegradable trash bag you're throwing it in the, in the trash and it goes to the dump and it's going to biodegrade much quicker than a diaper is, you know, or in an area that could really use a little extra help. Right. Getting some fresh dirt. And, and there are people that think that that's not environmentally friendly, but listen, you're not wasting 
all of that water and you're not putting your sewage into the water system. That's the biggest, of, we'll get to advantages, I guess now, the biggest advantage of using a composting toilet is not the fact that you don't have to dump a black tank, that's a big advantage too, but the biggest advantage is that you don't have to flush with water. So you can go a long time on your freshwater tank, a lot longer, because most of the water that you use from your freshwater tank, if you're like out in the middle of nowhere boondocking, it's gonna be for your toilet or for your shower. Yeah, and I would say that a lot of people who like to stay on BLM land for long periods of time or who are very keen on boondocking the majority of their camping time prefer the compost toilet because they can get longevity off of their water tanks because they now have this factor completely erased. Yeah. So if that is something that you're really interested in or something that you want to explore more as you continue to travel, really taking a good hard look at the compost toilet, I cannot recommend it enough. Along those lines, state parks and national parks, any any sort of campground that doesn't have sewer at the site, you know, it helps obviously helps you stay at those sites a lot longer as well. Some of the disadvantages. And there are some. There Everything are. has an advantage and a disadvantage. With the nature's head in particular, I'm sure it's this way with others, you can't go number one and number two at the same time. RV Miles will always give you the truth, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you're not going to, it's not a disaster if it accidentally happens. In, you know, with kids, it's, it's definitely going to happen. It's something with little people that you do have to discuss with them. You cannot do both of these activities at the exact same time. And here is why. And our, your smaller RVer, that may be a little bit difficult for them, especially if they have just learned or are transitioning from diapers to using the restroom. When you go number two, you have to open up a hatch that it goes down. Yes. And you're trying to avoid... Number one, going down that hatch. Because you don't want the two to that's, mix. So that's why you're you're trying to do them separately as as possible. Now, it's designed in a way that the, that doesn't happen easily anyway. But but you really you really want to avoid doing that. Yeah, and speaking of the hatch, this hatch is really well sealed. And I think that is another reason why you don't have a smell issue on the nature's head. Is that this hatch is nice. The covering that comes over it, I feel like, is nice and long and extends way past the actual opening itself. And I think that's what kind of helps seal whatever potential smell there could be, especially in the beginning after someone has used that section of the composting toilet. So that element there, too, is another reason yeah. why you don't have the smell factor. Because, again, I will say it, most of the time someone's going to say to you, but doesn't it smell? And there is also, there's a 12-volt fan that is attached to the the toilet that exhausts it out of the RV. And it, it doesn't exhaust it. And its main function is actually not exhausting. Its main function is drying out the compost. But it helps ex exhaust any sort of scents and gases as well. Yeah, and that is running 24-7. Yeah. And it takes very, very little electricity. It's mm -hmm. not an issue if you're uh, off-grid or anything like that. But you do have to use that. Do not install a nature's head without installing the vent fan we used ours for a little bit without that and I, boy the, the, let me tell you the difference was astronomical i told jason i said 
we will not use this thing again <laughs> until you vent it. Just saying. The, vent it. <laughs> another disadvantage of, of the composting toilet is men have to sit down. And if you have a problem with that and you're a man, you know, that's... This is you, not for you. you. It's not for you. You absolutely have to sit down. You cannot use this standing up. It will splash absolutely everywhere. And then everyone will be very angry at you. <laughs> but I, I mean, I've gotten so used to sitting down that I don't, I don't really use urinals very much anymore. <laughs> no, you know, another disadvantage, <laughs> at least for our family, is that our kids have become so accustomed to using this that when we go somewhere else, that's a flush <laughs> toilet, they don't, they don't flush. flush. They forget to they flush. They forget to flush. Yeah. And so... As we have been here at my parents' house, I keep going into the restroom and I'll be like, who is just in here? Which child? Because they didn't flush. They're so used to not having to do that, that yeah. they have to retrain themselves <laughs> when they're somewhere else to flush the toilet. Uh, every now and then, uh, how to say this, you might get a little streaking, especially with a kid. Yeah, <laughs> this is the most, this is the most <laughs> in, intimate RV Miles podcast we have done to date. <laughs> but what you do is you keep a spray bottle with vinegar and water nearby and you can just sort of spritz any. Yeah. And you know what? Actually, you, regardless of that, that is the way you clean your nature's head compost toilet. We keep a spray bottle that's hanging up next to the toilet that is full. I do uh, two-thirds water to one-third vinegar. And I also put five drops of essential oil orange. I like to use plant therapy. You can purchase that via Amazon. I put about five drops in there. And then anytime someone has gone number one, or just anytime someone uses the toilet, we spray afterwards. That's a way to keep it clean. Cleans out any of the tubes. It, it yeah. forces the number one down and, and, and replaces it with water. And, Absolutely. And, and also the, the, the orange smell and the essential oil really nice. gives off a nice smell. Yeah. We should say, too, I think we forgot to mention that after you have dumped the urine out of the bucket and you go and you reattach back into your nature's head toilet, we like to pour a little vinegar down through into the empty container. It kind of cleans again, like Jason said, it cleans out the tubes, but it also gets a nice layer of disinfectant down at the bottom of the, the bucket, the bucket, I guess. So I know this all sounds really weird to a lot of people. And it did to me at first as well, but I'm telling you, I don't know that if I, if I lived in a house that I would replace my house toilet with this, yeah, I but I wouldn't, know. I, I wouldn't bother me. If I went to a house and they had a, it, it's so feels so natural now. It feels like this is the way it is. It's a such an environmentally friendly way to dispose of our waste. Yeah, and I always laugh when we watch those tiny home shows on HGTV, and you know, a person is going through and they're looking at a potential one to buy, and they walk into the bathroom and they see the nature's head, and they are just like, "Oh no, oh no, I abs that must be replaced." And I think to myself, you, what? No, you want to keep that. You will find that to be such a better way to live in this tiny space and everything that will go with owning this tiny home. Do not dump that $1,000 toilet. Are you insane? Yeah, it's... <laughs> so 
I never probably would have said that two years ago. I think they get bad raps on those shows. It seems like every time someone walks into a bathroom and they see a compost toilet, they're completely turned off by it. Now, I would agree that maybe perhaps if I walked into one of those tiny homes and the bathroom was set up to look like what you would see in an outhouse or a Johnny on the spot, I think those designs are not very ple- like aesthetically no, pleasing. No. But if to see an actual nature's head compost toilet sitting in that bathroom in a tiny home, I would be thrilled. I do think that this particular way of disposing of human waste gets a bad rap. I was in that camp a year ago, and I can say a year later to hear Jason say, I know it seems weird. My natural reaction is, actually, I don't think it is weird. It doesn't feel weird. It's not. It's just a different way of doing something. It will not work for everyone, but I can tell you that it works for this family of five, and there are a lot of people out there that are trying to embrace this particular lifestyle as another way to, like, you know, leave a less larger footprint on our planet. So don't disqualify this from a potential way to, if you're building, build your bathroom, if you are purchasing and want to rehab your bathroom, don't discredit the compost toilet. Really give it a good look before you make your decision. Yeah, and we can't recommend the Nature's Head enough, and it is the most popular brand out there, and there's a reason why. Yes, it's $1,000, but no, it is not just a plastic bucket. It's a good investment when you consider what it is, what you're using it for, how much you're going to use it. All the metal on it is stainless steel. The plastic is like that ABS plastic. It's the stuff that that they make like park benches out of nowadays. You know, it's like super solid, heavy duty plastic that can hold a lot of weight and, and, <laughs> and that. And uh, it's just it's just designed very smart in a way that is going to keep any of those smells from coming up. I can't recommend it enough. It is it is absolutely the way to go, and I I would. I would use it in in any RV anytime. There you have it. That's our little spiel on compost toilets. I feel like we have really uh, (laughs) talked number one and number two to death. And so maybe it's time at this point, maybe we take a little break. Let's take a a break from the number two. (laughs) And we're going to come back and talk about downsizing. Be right back. Okay, we're back. So one of the most important things I think about the lifestyle that we live that I would that I would even include in a lifestyle if we lived in a sticks and bricks home is the the way we downsized our lives into something much more streamlined to getting rid of the things that were tying us down that we didn't need that we were wasting money on that we didn't care about, that we're collecting dust, all that sort of stuff. So we wanted to talk a little bit about how we made those decisions and how we made it happen. Yeah, so when we decided that we wanted to go full-time and we were going to go out on the road, the first decision was, are we going to rent a storage unit? You can go two ways with this. Should you decide you want to downsize, you can either 
Take everything that you feel you don't need in the space you live in, plug it into a storage unit, and pay a monthly fee to keep it all there until you feel like you're ready to go through it and release some of it into the world. Or you can do what we did is say, we are going to get the very smallest storage unit we can get. I think we have a five by five storage unit. And all that's going in there are the memories and the things that we absolutely feel we cannot let go of yet. Maybe it's because we need to have some time away from those things in order to realize maybe we don't need them as much as we think we do, or they just are special memories, baby mementos. I can't let go of my wedding dress, so I knew I wanted to. (laughs) That's probably the biggest thing in there. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. So once we decided that we were not going to take everything that couldn't go into a wander bus and put it into a storage unit, but rather we were going to sell all of that stuff off, then it became about how to go about that. How do we determine what is worth keeping, what is worth donating, what is worth trying to sell, and what platforms do we use in order to do those things? I felt, and Jason felt, very overwhelmed by this this process, and we were downsizing a three-bedroom, one-bath condo, about 1,000, maybe 1,200 square feet. I cannot imagine how overwhelming it would feel to someone coming from a four or five, two-and-a-half-bath home into an RV. And, I mean, let's be honest. It is. It was emotional. It was yes. painful. It as, was exhausting. As, it, was, it was hard. It was challenging. It was really difficult on the kids. Very difficult on the kids, especially because we were asking them in this three-bedroom one bath condo, one of those bedrooms was a toy room. <laughs> right. But it wasn't <laughs> even the toys not. that, that was the surprising thing. It was, it was less the toys that were a problem. They were, but our kids got, especially Ethan was very upset when we would get rid of a piece of furniture, piece of furniture. that we didn't even care about that we would have gotten rid of anyway. So I think the first thing I can say as I look back on that time and we took about, it was about eight months seven to eight months that we were downsizing our lives is that I didn't prepare my family, prepare my children for the emotional aspect as much as I could have. And I think that's because I didn't realize until we were in the thick of it, how emotionally difficult it would be for them. But I think that that is something that is worth talking about with your family and sitting down and all saying together, you know, this is a decision we have made And these are going to be hard steps that we have to take. Even if you don't have small children, even just talking to yourself about that or talking to your partner about that, like, I think that has to be acknowledged up front, that there will be tears. I had tears. One of my biggest emotional moments, and I'm surprised by how much this got me, was when I sold our double stroller. And I let that double stroller go because I knew that that was not something I could take with me. But I also knew that the memories, like I'm getting kind of emotional talking about it right now. It was representing the end of an era where our kids, me and the kids, would get in that double stroller, we'd load up all our stuff, and we would walk that neighborhood, and we would hit up all our parks, and we would spend time at these zoos. It was saying goodbye to that piece of my life because I knew that that was not going to continue in this new lifestyle that we had chosen. I cried a lot 
after that stroller went off to its new home. Our son sobbed uncontrollably when we sold our wardrobe that was in the dining room area that held coats and just random miscellaneous things, art supplies, whatever. He just couldn't handle watching someone come into our home and take that apart and move off to another home. It was very upsetting for him. And each one of us, I think, experienced that with a particular piece of something that perhaps surprised us that we felt that way. But I feel like the flip side to that was that there also, as time went on, became this incredible freedom. Oh my God, the freedom just develops and it starts to become this release to get rid of yeah. stuff. It starts to feel good. It starts to feel cathartic to get rid yes. of stuff. It starts to feel good to not even be getting money for your stuff, to be giving it to somebody. You you come to the point where like, why do I even care about $5 for this chair? Please, somebody that wants it and will use it and will love it, take it. Absolutely. And so a couple of platforms that we used, obviously one was Craigslist, but there is another platform called Offer Up. And it's an app that I find to be really, really user-friendly. And I would say that I did. And I handled the majority of this downsizing. While Jason was handling the building of the bus, he would go out to Indiana and he would spend all day out there at the bus. I would stay home and the kids and I would stay home and I would handle the downsizing. That's kind of the two roles we decided to play before we got on the road. Jason handled the majority of the build. I handled the majority of separating us from our home. So I used OfferUp, incredibly easy friendly app. You put in your information in there, people see it, then they can come and get the stuff. Some people do not like to have people come to their homes. I completely understand that. You can also arrange to meet someone in a parking lot. I allowed people to come to where we lived because we had particular security measures in place. People have to be buzzed in to get up to our apartment. I never had them come up to the apartment unless it was a big piece of furniture. I would meet them downstairs. However you're comfortable with selling these things, do it. I also, I won't say that I was picky with who I sold to, but I appreciated when someone who was also in this app had a picture of themselves and took the time to fill out their profile. It made me feel a little bit more comfortable interacting with them. So let's talk about some of the difficulty in selling things though. Yes. One of the, one of the things we did as well was had a garage sale. Um, we brought it, we actually loaded up the bus with a bunch of stuff and brought it to Kansas City to our in-laws yeah. house. It's a little difficult <laughs> to have garage sales in Chicago. Let's be perfectly honest. But looking <laughs> back on that, that was such, uh, it seems so wasteful that we, I mean, I, I would have just rather we just gave all that stuff away in Chicago, you know? Yeah, I think if you own a home where having a garage sale is convenient to you, totally do one. I was surprised by how... um, How people insist on haggling absolutely everything. (laughs) I mean, you have... Okay, so here's an item that is worth... $20 $20 that you're selling for a dollar and they come back at you wanting to pay 50 cents or a quarter for it. Yeah. That got a little frustrating and I got a lot of feedback after our garage sale cause I wrote an article about it for our wandering family. And I got a lot of feedback from people who had experienced something similar and some of the ways that they had combated that with their pricing and stuff. But 
I would certainly implement were we to ever do another garage sale. One of the reasons why we loaded things up and brought them here anyway was we were already headed here to spend some time with my parents and to get a little help working on the bus. So bringing the stuff, it just kind of seemed natural. The thing to realize when it comes to selling your stuff, whether it's on OfferUp or Craigslist or through a garage sale, is that stuff is only worth what it's worth to you to have. It's not worth what you paid for. It's not worth what somebody else wants to pay for it. Most of the stuff you own is worth honestly nothing. You know, it's not, you have things like baskets and knickknacks and chairs that sit in a corner that nobody sits on. If it's not getting used, it doesn't have a worth to you just because you paid for it. So once you have that realization, once you can sort of let go of that, once you can realize, oh, I nursed Henry in that chair for for a year, that means that chair means a lot to me. Once you realize, oh, I have pictures of me sitting in that chair with him, and that picture is worth a lot more. Once you have all those realizations, it's so much easier to let go of stuff. It really boils down to separating the emotional from the physical taking the emotional aspect out of the item. The, the emotional and, and the, this, this need for value, for money that yes. might, you, might, uh, you might attach to the things that you worked hard for. Obviously, uh, you know, that's emotional too. I worked really hard to be able to afford a nice dining room set for my family. But that in, dining room set was really hard for us, I think, to let go of because that was one of the bigger purchases we had ever made as a couple right. after a lot of years of struggling to just make ends meet as a new little family, then to be able to have been in a place where we could go and purchase a brand new, new to us dining room table. I remember that being really difficult for that to let go of too. But I always recommend that in those moments you remind yourself of the end game. My end game here is whatever your goal is that you're setting for yourself and your family. My end game is to travel full time. My end game is to spend less time cleaning my house or searching for stuff. Or my end game is to not spend so much money on the things inside my house, but save that money for a great trip for my family. Whatever the end game is, in those really difficult emotional moments, try to refocus yourself in that. We sold almost every single thing that we owned. We do not own a large piece of furniture. We do not own art. We do not own a lot of clothes anymore. We do not own a lot of toys. Kitchen gadgets. We do not own a full set of kitchen anything. For us, if it could not go in the bus or it could not fit in that small little storage unit, we did not keep it. And even that storage unit, we could... If, if there was a one that was a third of the size that existed, we could use it. We could yeah. do without the storage unit altogether if we brought some of that stuff to one of our parents' house. Right. And we only keep that storage unit because we didn't want to ask someone to yeah. have our stuff in their home and to take up their space with our stuff. The, th- the, the other important thing to realize is that you're not going to fund any part of your journey by selling off your stuff. No, whatever, you will not fully fund. You whatever you not. think you're going to make off of selling your stuff, quarter, Cut it in half. quarter that, I'd <laughs> say. Quarter it, you sure. know? I mean, it, because you are going to get to the point where you're like, 
okay, I'm so sick of this. <laughs> Salvation Army, come pick some stuff up. Yeah. You know, or you're going to start posting stuff on Craigslist for free. Or you're going to try to, you know, we gave we gave some a, a lot of expensive toys to a what 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 was that? What were those two women? Was so we a- had someone contact us that was um, collecting donations to take back to a school in Africa. This was a right. completely yeah. legit organization, and she had contacted me about a play kitchen and all of the accessories that I had put up. She had contacted me asking me if I would be willing to donate that. And I was so moved by the story and the information that she had sent me that I didn't hesitate to say, absolutely, I don't need the $50 to know that this is going where it was going was so fulfilling for me. It was stuff that was meaningful to our kids. And for us to just sell that off for 25, 50 bucks, you know, would, it just wouldn't honor their feelings towards their stuff it's yeah. it's so much more rewarding to be able to give it to somebody who needs it. Well, to give it a new home and to give it a new life. And that's another thing I want to say about downsizing for us was that we had some really powerful like human to human experiences where we were able to meet people who were purchasing these items and I would learn what they were purchasing them for. I would learn where this was going and there were so many times when I was moved by what people were out there searching for because they were looking to help a friend who was in need. Our couch went to a mother and her children who were in desperate need, furnishing a home after they had left um, a very abusive situation. And this person contacted me and Again, they didn't need to give me this story because the couch was free. Right. It was already free. And I just was, for me to be able to to see stuff and know that it was going to those places. You I had would, that antique desk that, that meant a lot to you that was yes. your grandmother's. And, and that was really hard for you to part with. But it went to a novelist who... Yes. Who wanted to make that the center of his work, a place for him to he wanted create to, art. Yeah. He wanted to write on it as it was intended. Whereas I had just been having it sit in a corner and collecting dust for 15 years. And I had the blessing of my family to let this go. And the fact that it went to this gentleman and that I know that this antique piece of furniture is being used in the way that it was always intended. And it's being used to help someone filter out their creative outlet still makes me feel very emotional. This is a, this is a really emotional kind of discussion for me. I'm sitting here with a lump in my throat because I'm kind of reliving, you know, our experience. Everyone's experience will be different. Mine was a really emotional experience. And we're, we're, we're a younger couple. We have not built sort of a lifetime of pieces of furniture that mean that kind of thing to us. So perhaps some of this was a little bit easier for us than it might be for older people who are retiring and getting into this lifestyle and wanting to get rid of your stuff. I'm sure it's got to be really difficult. So you can have whatever you want to have. And that's great. If you want to have lots and lots of stuff, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's fantastic. 
but there's no need to own stuff just because you feel like you're supposed to. And once you have that realization, I think it opens up a lot of avenues for a lot of people to, to sort of rethink how to spend their money, how to live their life. Yeah. So if you're at the point now where you're like, let's sell it all. Jason and Abby have convinced me I need nothing but this pair of pants, a pot, and maybe this chair over there. The best thing you can do is start with some sort of like social media platform, like offer up Craigslist, consider doing a garage sell, look into uh, neighborhood donation organizations where you can either have them come pick up the things that you absolutely don't feel like you should try to sell or take them there yourself. And also consider getting the very smallest storage unit you can so that you are not tempted to hold on to everything. But at the same time, purchase a storage unit so that you don't feel pressured to make a decision about things you are not ready to make a decision about. We have been back to that storage unit several times since we got on the road, and I have been able to reevaluate a few things now that I have had some time away from them where I have said, once we return to a sticks and bricks lifestyle, I do not feel I need this anymore. I have broken that emotional attachment with it. Let's donate this and give it a home where it's being used and not sitting in a storage unit anymore. So if you have any other tips, though, about the downsizing lifestyle, we would absolutely love to hear them. You can send them to us over at editor at rvmiles.com or leave a message, a comment in the show notes or on social media and let everybody know how you've downsized your life. All right, let's wrap this up with a brain teaser. So this week, Abby is going to read the brain teaser because she found it. Because she didn't like that mine weren't (laughs) travel related. Even though the last one was kind of camping related, it was hiking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So she's going to give me the brain teaser this time. Susie is traveling by ship from south of the equator to the north. She has a nice little cabin with a bathroom, but no window. Sally has no compass nor other instruments, just the general luggage one brings on board a long cruise. Yet, without leaving her room or talking with someone, Susie will be able to tell when the ship has crossed the equator. How? I think I know the answer, and... I will let you know off the air and we, and we'll wait for somebody to write in and hopefully give them a prize next week when reveal when we reveal their answer instead of me having to reveal mine and tell you, you why I know so it. You are so smug. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, everyone... We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, we would love a review, a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform you're getting your podcast from. Also, we talk a little bit about this. Two reminders. One, on Thanksgiving Day, the comments close to let your opinion be known about the potential increase with our National Park Service park fees across 17 different parks. So please, please share your thoughts on that with the National Park Service by November 23rd. 
And the second is we would very much appreciate it if you would share the RV Miles podcast across your social media platforms to help us combat this new Apple iOS update that is definitely giving some of the newer podcasts a real kick in the butt. So thank you for listening. Keep logging those RV miles and we will see you next week. Bye.